about God is that everything does not scare him about you because God knows everything and he sees everything and yet as a God of love he still loves you warts and all screw-ups and all big famous screw-ups that everybody knows about and those little private screw-ups that nobody sees but he sees when someone is coming at you about your bad behavior the instinct is to run away even if it's God who's coming after you We are experts at running from God, whether from shame or defiance, but we can never get away. Today, Pastor Daniel's explanation of God's omnipotence is actually a comfort because it's evidence of his love for us. No matter how far we fall, he's always near and waiting, waiting for us to leave the lie. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Come As You Are. Jesus is that Nirvana, when they came on the scene in the early 90s, you know, we're just coming out of a really dark time in rock music. I mean, at that point, the 80s, all the guys had perms, you know, real high hair. Guys used to wear makeup then. But then all of a sudden, the 90s happened. Guys went from big hair and spiral perms, and then Nirvana showed up on the scene. Just a Seattle grunge rock. Guys went from playing a million notes to playing three chords. All these effects to just one, just grungy sound. You know, and you think about that song, Come As You Are. I mean, their first single, Smells Like Teen Spirit, shot up the charts. I remember when they world premiered that video. I was a teenager watching MTV back when MTV still had music videos. I heard they don't have music videos anymore, but then it was music videos. It was like, that was kind of a cool thing. I remember watching that being like, wow, wow. And that song that we just heard, Come As You Are, the second hit, off of their album, Nevermind. It reached number 32 on the, bill, on the Billboard Hot 100. Now, I chose that song for a reason. Why? Because psalms are songs. And we're bridging what were popular songs in our kind of more recent history with actual songs. Because the book of Psalms, that's, that's the, the top 150 of the children of Israel. It's kind of cool when you think about King David. For the younger generation of psalmists, King David was like classic rock, right? He's like the stones for like the sons of Asaph and things like that. <laughs> but the song, Come As You Are, I mean, I could have used like the, the Christian hymn, you know, come just as you are, hear the spirit. And it's a beautiful song. I actually know the guy wrote it, but, but come as you are. If you think about the lyrics of what they're saying, Kurt Cobain is grappling with how confusing it is to be a human being. Things like, take your time, hurry up. The choice is yours. Don't be late. Isn't that how we feel as humans a lot of time? It's like you feel pulled in a million directions. Each one of us, no matter what your marital situation is, your job situation, your family situation, your living situation, so many of us can understand, we identify with that feeling of, I can't be everything all the time. I can't be on time and feel that I have the freedom to be at the time that I want to be. 
Come as you are, as you were, as I want you to be. That's how this verse starts. Think about it. Come, come as you are. Come as you used to be. Come how I want you to be. See, because part of being a human this side of eternity, it lacks cohesion. Because everybody wants something. We want something. Other people want something. And most of us feel pulled in a million directions. That's how we feel. And that's why the book of Psalms is so powerful. Most people, when they want to hear, when they're grabbing their Bible, you open to the Psalms. Why? Because it's so real. It's so personal. Every single human emotion is portrayed in the Psalms. And so this Psalm today that we're going to look at, come as you are is the perfect name for it. Because we're going to learn things about who God is. And because of who God is, we can come to him just the way we are. And he does the work. So I want you to open up in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This Psalm is important to me because I remember, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And other than reading my mom certain passages in the Bible when she was dying from cancer as a young man, I never really cracked the Bible. And I remember um, in college, there was a TV show that I was watching. And it was like one of those quote, quote unquote spiritual TV shows. The, the woman who was speaking, her probably her birth name was probably something like Jane Smith, but her new name was like Lotus Blossom Daffodil. I don't know if that was really her name, but that, you, you, know, you know those type of shows where you, you go on and it, really it's just like they change their name to the most uh, out there name they can come up with. And she was talking about the only chapter you really need in the whole Bible is Psalm 139. Everything else is garbage, he said. But Psalm 139, that's the one. So, of course, me, I'm like, ooh, I wonder what that psalm is about. And so I went there and I read it. It was one of the first places I really remember reading in the Bible, Psalm 139. Now, I don't agree with her. I don't think it's the only thing you need in the Bible. But it's a really good psalm. And it's going to speak to each one of us in a very special and unique way. Let's just jump right on in. In verse 1 of Psalm 139, Now, I'm just going to take it section by section here. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. For me, it is high. I cannot attain it. So jumping right on in here, we begin with the reality that God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you. Oftentimes people would say that this is God's omniscience. It's God being all-knowing. But I don't think we should be content as we read the word, just to come up with characteristics of God. Because I believe that all good theology is theology that's lived out. This reality that God knows everything about us needs to change our lives. Not just be like, oh yeah, God knows everything. Check in the, in the characteristics of God box. But because God knows everything about us, now how shall we live? What does this mean? But God knows everything about you. I mean, that word know in in verse 1, you have searched me and known me. In the Bible, that speaks of the most intimate of relationships. The first place it shows up, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, 
and they conceived and bore a son. It spoke of the union between a husband and a wife, the most intimate of knowledge. That's how much God knows you. Everything about you, he knows you intimately, personally, every nook and cranny of your heart. David, in speaking about this, speaks about how God knows us intimately in our totality. Look in verse two, you know my sitting down and my rising up. God knows all of our actions. You understand my thought afar off in verse two. God knows our thoughts. Look at verse three, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. God knows our paths and our ways. Look at verse four. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows our words, our actions, thoughts, our paths, our ways, our words. Every single human being who's ever lived in any culture, in any generation, God knows everything about your life. Each one of you, whether sitting here in the sanctuary or watching online or listening to a a podcast or whatever, God knows everything about you, every detail, every motivation of your heart, every fear, everything. He knows everything. Now, I know what's amazing about that. Even if you don't want to believe in God, even if you're saying, look, I don't know about all that stuff. I just, I want to do it my own way. No, no, no. Even if you don't believe it, he still knows everything about you. Everything. Listen to the book of Hebrews, chapter four, verse 13. It says this, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Wow. There's no creature hidden from his sight. We're all naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What that means is that no matter what you think you're getting away with, God sees all of it. He knows all of it. We all live under the shadow of his all-seeing eye. Now, it's been said, well, I mean, like, that's freaky, right? I mean, does that sound kind of freaky? You know, it makes me think of Hall and Oates, you know, private eyes, they're watching you. They see your, sorry, I'm singing you guys songs today. I should preach a whole message of just songs. But, you know, somebody asked the Sunday school teacher, a little kid said, you know, I don't understand. Why does God know everything about me? How does he, why? And a, and a wise Sunday school teacher said, well, God loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. That's wisdom. God knows everything. And what's awesome about God is that everything does not scare him about you. Because God knows everything and he sees everything. And yet as a God of love, he still loves you. Warts and all, screw ups and all, big famous screw ups that everybody knows about and those little private screws ups that nobody sees, but he sees. He knows everything about us. And not only does he know everything about us, verses five and six tells us that even knowing everything about us, he still protects us. You have hedged me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The idea of being hedged, his hand on you is for the purpose of protection. So knowing everything about you, God still protects you, still looks out for you, still cares. And then David says, man, this is all too rad for me. That's what he says. That's the new Daniel translation. 
This is rad, Lord. Far out, man. You know everything. You protect me. It's, these thoughts are too wonderful. Why? Because God knows everything. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Not only does God know everything about you, but God is always there no matter where you are. God is always there no matter where you are. Now, this is powerful. Now, this whole discussion is about, they would say this is um, God's omnipresence, that God is always everywhere there. But it begins with these two questions. In verse 7, where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? Now, friend, brother, sister, the human impulse is to flee from God. The human impulse is to flee from God. You might say, well, how do you know? Well, think about Adam and Eve, right? When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became self-aware, self-conscious. And they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What did they do? They hid from him. They hid from God. Because of our awareness of ourselves, the human impulse is to hide from God, like Adam and Eve. There's a lot of examples of people hiding from God in the Bible. You think of Jonah. God called Jonah to do the work of ministry, to go to a group of people who were hated. And Jonah's like, you know what, Lord? No, thank you. So he grabbed a, he grabbed a ship ticket. He's like, I'm out of here. God wants me to go to Nineveh. I'm going the exact opposite direction. Trying to hide. Running from God as if he could. But you know what? Some of us in this room, God has called you to ministry and you're running. You know God's called you and you are like Jonah. You're just going the exact opposite direction as if you can flee from the presence of God. Let me give you another group of people who were really good at fleeing from God, and that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees fled from God by being awfully religious. They let their religion be a wall so that when God incarnate, Jesus Christ, came to the earth, they could say, no, 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 we like our religion. And I'll be honest with you, as, as a Christian... We are so much like the Pharisees, aren't we, sometimes? We want to use our biblical Christianity as a way to keep us from God. Because we like our religion. It's so easy. Like, you get saved by grace, not of anything we did, just God's free gift of salvation that we put our faith and trust in. And then all of a sudden, we become holier than thou, more righteous than somebody. And, and we're like the Pharisees, like, I can't believe Jesus would hang out with that person. I mean, don't you know how they voted in the last election? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, they do this, 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 and this. And that judgmentalism, it's just us fleeing from God. 
Is that you today? Is that me today? Am I the person who in the name of religion, I want to keep people from being reunited with God? Because I'm more holy than Jesus. Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and sinners and I wouldn't be caught dead with those people. Oh, the human impulse is to flee from God. And you know what's beautiful? When Adam and Eve were hiding from God, when Jonah headed on out in the other direction, when the Pharisees had all their religion in nice little bows, what happened? God went in search of man. Because God in the garden went looking for Adam and Eve. God sent a whale to go get Jonah. And Jesus talked with the Pharisees over and over and over again. Because although our impulse is to flee from God, God's loving impulse is to come and find us. And if you're here today and you've got a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's because God came to find you and he used a person. He used someone to love on you, to encourage you, to talk to you. If you're here today and maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, the reason you're here today is because somebody loves you enough to say, come on, come with me. And what's beautiful is nobody judges you for running from God because we all know how to do it really well. We're all in it together. Our human impulse is to run from God and God's divine impulse is to come and get us. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about, brothers and sisters. It's about God loving us enough not to let us run away, but he comes and gets us. And he comes and gets us by becoming a man and dying on a cross for our sins and filling us with his Holy Spirit when we believe in him. No matter where you are, God is there. God is there. And David, in this beautiful song, starts going If I go up to heaven, Lord, you're there. If I go down to hell, in in the Hebrew, it's the word sheol, which means the place of the dead. The highest of the lowest, you're there. If I go on out in the morning to the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. Not only in the morning, notice it's surely the darkness shall fall me, the evening time. You're there. Over and over and over again, no matter where we go, no matter how far you run, guess what? You can't run away from God. He's still there. He's, it reminds me of Jeremiah 23, 24. It says this, Can anyone hide himself in secret places so that I shall not see him, says the Lord? Did I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? You can't run from God because he's everywhere. No matter how hard you try, even you're intellectually convinced there's no God. He's still there. That's why it is so hard. It's so hard to live a life of rebellion because at every single turn, everything reminds you that he knows everything about you and he's there. Every time you breathe in, with every inhale and exhale, the reality of God exists. Why? Because you didn't create the oxygen. You didn't create trees that take carbon dioxide and turn it back into oxygen. Every time you taste, you didn't create taste. Your heart pumping, you have no control over that. All of the knobs are on God's side of the wall. And every single moment of every single day, that reality is right in front of us. Every time you talk to someone, even if you're mad at them, the ability to communicate testifies. That's why it's so hard to flee from God. It's so hard to try and, you're you're running and you're rebelling and you know it, but you know that you're living a lie. You know it. Because it nags at you. Why? Because he's everywhere. 
No matter where you go, you can do whatever it is that you think you want to do, and you know he's still there with you, just waiting for you to turn. No matter where you go, he's there. He's ever present. He's ever present. But look at what happens next, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book. They all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Not only does God know everything about you, not only no matter where you go is God there, but God did a wonderful job of creating you. That's what these verses teach us, that God did a wonderful job of creating you. God is the creator. Even our constitution says that. Even though they believe in the separation of church and state, you couldn't have a state-sponsored religion, but it says we hold these truths to be self-evident. We were created, and God did a wonderful job. Each one of these verses, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. God created us wonderfully. When God created Adam on the sixth day of creation, out of the dust of the ground, he blew breath into him and made him a living soul. God said, it's very good. It's very good. No matter what you think about yourself, no matter what your parents told you you were, I'm here to tell you that God created you and he did a darn good job of doing it. He did. He created you. He made you. And we all realize the tension of the fact that we were created wonderfully in God's image and we struggle. We have this flaw, this sin nature. And you look at your life and you see both sides. You're like, wow, humans are capable of amazing things and hideous things simultaneously. But God did a wonderful job of making you and making me. We were created just the way he wanted us to be, although fatally flawed. Notice what it says in verse 15. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in secret and you skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. That idea of being in the lowest parts of the earth, it's a metaphor for the deepest of concealment. It's speaking of the hiddenness of the womb. Now, notice what it says here. It says, your eyes saw my substance, verse 16, being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. You see what he says? He says, before I was even formed, God, you saw me, you knew me in my mother's womb, and you knew all the days of my life. It was written in your book. It makes me think of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God speaking to Jeremiah, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jesus is real. Our hearts break for those being turned away and rejected all over the world because of where they've come from. 
Like many of you, I have to face my fears about terrorism and balance them with the command Jesus gave me to love. Love no matter what. You might be asking yourself, what can I do? How can I help? Well, I urge you first to reach out to us here at Crossroads Community Church. We've been ministering to refugees for many years and we could use your help. Second, and it's gonna sound pretty simple, you need to pray. Pray for those who are suffering all over the world. Pray for our refugees trying to escape terror in their own countries and pray for President Donald Trump and the rest of the leadership of our country. And we wanna help you to remember to pray for all of these things. I wear a leather bracelet that says real on it. Whenever I look at this bracelet, it reminds me that Jesus is real in my life and I'm utterly and completely blessed. I also remember to pray for those who are fleeing tyranny. I'm gonna turn this over to Josh so that you can learn more about supporting refugees and help us here at Jesus Is Real Radio. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Truly, the plight of the refugees is urgent. Throughout the month of March, we want to make available to you the same leather bracelet that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. It simply says real on it. When you wear this bracelet, you'll be reminded of God's love in your life and those that are less fortunate. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you the real bracelet as a thank you. Plus, we will use a portion of these funds in the current effort here at Crossroads Community Church to minister to refugees. To receive your own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. Well, thanks for joining us today. Please remember to pray for the poor, oppressed, and less fortunate. Until next time, may God bless. Trail, we need, we need.